so I thank God for you, and I thank God for what uh, He plans to do uh, in the future as uh, you continue to serve Him and, and be faithful to Him. I, I pray you're encouraged today uh, to know that uh, there's still a good work for Forest Baptist. And in fact, uh, the passive scripture that we're looking to this morning points us to the urgency of that work, the urgency of the work that God has called you to do. The last verses of the Bible close by stating this. He who testifies to these things, Revelation 22 and verse 20, says, Surely I am coming soon. Of course, the Lord is speaking in His vision to John. John responds by saying what? Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. And amen. You may be seated. Thank you for standing in honor of God's word even when you weren't asked to. Closing verses of the Bible are as intentionally written as the opening verses of the Bible. The opening verses of the Bible speak to us about the beginning. In the beginning. The closing verses of the Bible speak to us about what is yet to come, but what soon will come. There's a reference here to the coming of Christ. In fact, the Lord Jesus makes that reference himself. If you're familiar with the book of Revelation, then you know that, uh, that uh, what we have, uh, at least for a, a good majority of this book, is a description of a vision God has given his servant, whose name is John. And as the Lord speaks... Uh, to John, he speaks to him uh, through a vision, helping John understand some of the things that were taking place in his day, helping John understand some of the things that would soon take place. I believe there's information in Revelation about things that are taking place in our day, and there are some things that are yet to take place, and that's really where we find ourselves at uh, the end of the book, speaking about things that are yet to take place but that will soon take place. Question for you this morning, for all of us to consider together. To think about it as a church and where you are in a church looking forward, but to think about it as an individual follower of Jesus, or if you're not a follower of Jesus, to think about what it means for your life. The Bible closes with a strong message about the Lord's coming about the Lord's coming. The question I want us to think about today, to consider today, is are we ready for His coming? How can we be sure that, that, that we are ready for His coming, that, that those who we love are ready for His coming, that, that those who may be strangers to us, but the Lord would put us in their path today or this week, that they have the opportunity to be ready for His coming. Now, when we think about the coming of the Lord, it really does point us to the urgency of the gospel and to our ministry as a church or as churches. But it occurs to me that uh, when I think about the Lord's coming and the way I hear it uh, taught and preached today, that I, I don't hear near as much said about it as I did when I was a boy growing up. Uh, I didn't have the opportunity to be with you last Sunday. I appreciate the graciousness of your pastor. I was supposed to preach here last Sunday. And he allowed me to come this Sunday instead. Uh, we were uh, 
uh, home just around the state line down in a little town by the name of Jellicoe. Part of the town's in Kentucky, part of the town's in Tennessee, but I was there uh, doing the funeral of, of my grandmother. Uh, we had her funeral on her 97th birthday. Uh, it was my privilege to officiate uh, that funeral, and it, uh, it was especially joyful, but especially difficult at the same time, if you know what I mean, that, that, that mixture of, of sadness and, and grief, but uh, joy and hope that the Lord gives us. She was as close uh, to a mother as anyone uh, the Lord ever placed in my life. Uh, and uh, I remember as a boy growing up hearing her speak to me and teach to me and, and going to church with her. There, there was, seemed to be a lot of attention, expectation, emphasis upon the Lord's coming. But I don't hear it as much today. In fact, uh, sort of the attitude that I often observe today, even among churches, even among church people, uh, goes something like this. Well, the Lord's coming. Yeah, that's, that's good. I, I'm, I'm for that. Yeah. But does it have to be today? <laughs> I, mean, I mean, yeah, that'd be great, but uh, are you talking about right now? I mean, there's still some things I wanted to do in life, still some places I wanted to go, still some experiences I wanted to have. It's not that I'm against it. Just don't know how much I'm for it if it's today. Have you, have, have you observed that, that, that attitude? One of the images that the Bible gives us to understand the church is that of the bride of Christ. The church is the bride of Christ. He's the groom. The church is the bride. And as uh, the Bible speaks to us about the image of, of the church and, and, and the bride, it often references the coming of the Lord as, as a groom coming for his bride and, and uh, at a time of celebration, we call it a wedding. That when the Lord Jesus comes back and he comes for his church, the, there'll be a, a wedding celebration. In fact, in Revelation 19, we find that uh, very thing described. I'm going to back up uh, two or three chapters here. And let me read just one of the many examples in Scripture that put together this notion of the Lord coming, as He's coming for His church, that, that it's as a great wedding celebration. Revelation 19, beginning in verse 6, John says, I heard, he's describing the vision, I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, and like uh, the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns, let us rejoice and exult and give Him the glory for the marriage. Listen to this, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and His bride, who's the bride? The church, His bride, the church has made herself ready. She's ready for His coming. She's ready for her wedding day. It was granted, verse 8, it was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, Right, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true words of God. It's a wedding day. It's a wedding day. Do you remember your wedding day? Any of you have your wedding day here at Forest Baptist? Anybody, anybody married here? Several hands going up. I imagine you've done a wedding or two here, haven't you? Brothers of all beautiful sanctuary. You wouldn't have to do a lot of decorating to have a a beautiful setting for a, a wedding here. Let, let's, let's, let's imagine, if you would, that it's wedding day. Uh, pastor's probably standing up here somewhere. Uh, uh, 
We've got uh, that pretty little flower girl probably over here, and a maid of honor. The bridesmaids all so beautifully adorned, holding their bouquets, maybe sprinkled out to, uh, down the stairs off the altar. And over here on the other side, you have that uh, best man. And the groomsmen standing, uh, maybe lined up along that way, or maybe even back in here, depending on how many there are. And then you got that little uh, ring bearer. I don't know how you do this, Pastor, but I always give very specific instructions to the best man regarding the ring bearer. And my instructions are, hold on to that boy. <laughs> you put one hand on that shoulder and one hand on it, it's your job to hold on to that boy. You never know what those little fellows are going to do. I've seen the wildest. I saw one break loose one day in the middle of a ceremony, and he began to do somersault flip-flops all across the front sanctuary. I mean, thankfully, the bride had a good sense of humor, but uh, everybody was breaking up, and she kind of smiled too, thankfully. And, uh, but you never know what that little guy's going to do, so I said, you know, you, you just, just hold on to him. Uh, now the time has come, the groom's standing here, and the piano begins to belt out... Uh, the Canon D, I, I, I don't know much about music, but I was told it's Canon D. But you know it when you hear it. It's, it's the song that the bride enters in. And, and uh, when that happens, when you hear that song, everybody stands up in her honor. And you begin to look. And, and those double doors swing open. There she is standing. The bride beautifully adorned for her groom. And she's under her father's arm. And we're all waiting and watching. But she's not moving. She just standing. In fact, it seems that she sort of struck up a conversation back there with, with her daddy. And we can't hear, I mean, the piano's playing, and we, we can't hear what she's saying, but if we could, it'd go something like this. Now, Daddy, you know I want to get married. I'm just not sure I want to get married today. Daddy, do you mind to go in and tell all of our friends and family, thank you so much for being here. Well, I appreciate them, and, and we're going to have us a wedding. We're just not going to have it today. Oh, that poor old boy standing down here. I mean, what's going on? Well, I mean, best case scenario, she's just not ready to get married. Worst case scenario, there's another lover stolen her heart. When the Bible says that Christ is the groom and the church is the bride, but the attitude of the church is, well, I'd like to see him. I'm just not sure I want it to be today. It might be that another lover has stolen our hearts. That we're far too in love with the things of this world that the Creator has made and given us and not in love enough with the Creator. How, how, how can we be sure we're ready? How can we, how can we change that? What, what is it that we need to hear from God's Word this morning? Well, the very first thing I would point out is this, regarding the coming of the Lord, we better prepare for it. We need to prepare for it, make sure others prepare for it, because it is imminent and it's exclusive. It is imminent first. You know, it's not just one time here in Revelation 22, the closing chapter of the Bible, that Jesus references His soon coming. It's four times. Four times in the last chapter. I mean, this is the closing of the Bible. This is what God leaves us with in His Word. 
Let's see the first example. It's in verse 7. Revelation 22 and verse 7, the first reference to Jesus soon coming. The Lord is speaking in the vision to John. He says, Behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. There's the first reference. The second is in verse 10. Look down to verse 10. He said to me, Do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. What time? The time of the Lord's coming. It's near. That's the second reference. The third is in verse 12. Look down to verse 12. Behold, I am coming soon, Jesus says, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. Three times. No, four. Look at the next to last verse in the Bible. Revelation 22, verse 20. He who testifies these things says, Surely I am coming soon. No less than four times in the last chapter of the last book of the last testament of God's Word, we find reference to the soon coming of Christ. Is it a coincidence? Absolutely not. This is the message. This is the warning. This is the urgency that God leaves us with. We must be prepared for Christ's coming is imminent. That's to say He's coming soon. Now, of course, one of the reasons that may, or one of the things that may have, have lended to our Becoming a little lazy on this, uh, a little lacking in expectation, a little lacking in enthusiasm for the Lord's coming is the fact that we know these words were written 2,000 years ago. A lot of time has passed since the Lord appeared to John in the vision and said, I'm coming soon, four times. What do we make of that? I think there's a clue... uh, a key to our understanding in this chapter itself. I'd I'd call your attention to verse 11. Look with me at verse 11, Revelation 22, verse 11. Now, I have to tell you before we read this verse that it sounds a little strange to begin with. It it doesn't sound much like Bible. Listen to this. Let the evildoer still do evil. Does that sound like Bible? And the filthy still be filthy. Doesn't sound a lot like Bible. Now it gets better here. And the righteous still do right, and the holy still be holy. What what is this bit about if you're doing evil, keep on doing it? Now that's not the message Jonah went to preach to the Ninevites, was it? You sorry Ninevites, keep right on being sorry Ninevites. That's not what he said. What did he say? He called them to repentance. The judgment of God is coming. John the Baptist came and he said, well, just keep rolling the way you're rolling. No, he said, I came to prepare the way for the coming of the Lord. Peter preached at Pentecost. The Bible says those who heard him were pricked to the heart and and they cried out, what must we do to be saved? And Peter said, just keep doing what you've been doing. No. Peter said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, for the remission of sin. A call to repentance is what Jonah preached, what John preached, what Peter preached. Why is there no call to repentance? Remember what the chapter is about. What is this chapter about? It's about the Lord's coming. And when He comes, it'll be too late to repent. The point of this is for us to understand the urgency that accompanies the preaching of the gospel and the hearing of the gospel. Because when Christ comes again, we will have missed our opportunity to turn from our sins and to be saved. We will have missed our opportunity. So on the day of His coming, those 
who are filthy and wicked. Those who are, as it says in verse 11, evil in their doings. They might as well remain evil in their doings. Filthy, still be filthy. Righteous, still do right. Holy, still be holy. Because your opportunity to turn to Christ and be saved will have passed you by. And that's why there's an urgency today. That's why there's an urgency in this very moment for those who have not yet repented of their sins and trusted in Christ to do so now. Eternity hangs in the balance. And when the eastern sky breaks open and the Lord Jesus himself comes and the archangels shout and the trumpets sound, it will be too late. So let us be sure that we are prepared and those around us have the opportunity to prepare because His coming is imminent. But it's not just imminent, it's exclusive. What do I mean by that? Well, let me put that in uh, uh, the way they sit down the mountains where I'm from. He ain't coming for everybody. <laughs> he ain't coming for everybody. The Lord's coming for His bride. He's, he's coming for the church. And I think we see that indicated back in verse 7. He says, Behold, I'm coming soon. He doesn't say, Blessed is everyone on that day. He said, Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. What's this book about? It's about His coming. The entire Old Testament is a build-up, an anticipation of prophecy that the Savior is coming. All the way back in Genesis chapter 3, we see the need for a Savior. Verse 15, the Proto-Evangelion, the theologians call it, the first gospel when we were told that the man's heel will be bruised by the serpent and he'll crush the head of that serpent. It's a foreshadowing Jesus and His wounding on the cross, but His victory over Satan and over death. And from there, moving forward, you look at the Psalms, you look at Isaiah the prophet, on and on it goes. The law itself was, was a a foretelling, a foreshadowing of the one who would come to keep the law, one who would fulfill the, the, the requirements of the law on our behalf, the shedding of blood and the sacrifices. Hebrews says there's no forgiveness without the shedding of blood. All of it is a, is a build-up to the gospel stories when the Savior came and when He laid down His life on Golgotha to save us. And when he was raised, and in that resurrection power, there is salvation for all who believe. And it moved forward beyond the Gospels, and you turn to the book of Acts, and you read all the way through Paul's letters, and Peter's letters, and John's letters, and come to the end of the story, the end of the book. And what's it about? It's about the fact that he's coming again. And he's coming for his bride. He's coming for the church. And for those who are His, it's going to be a great day. It's going to be a great day. It's gone about three weeks when we traveled to South Africa this summer and made it home. Boy, I was glad to be home. Landed at the Louisville airport, went to the security checkpoint. If you've been in airports, you know there's a big open area where, where folk can come. They can't go past that security checkpoint, but they can wait on you just outside that security checkpoint. My oldest son, Daniel, had traveled with me. Daniel's about 6'5 now. I'm looking up to that boy. Uh, that's how we keep our Daniels separated. This one ain't 6'5. But he was there, and I'd missed him. And my daughters were there, 
and I'd miss them. There was a lot of people standing around there who I knew. You know, I just sort of ignored them and walked right by them. Why was that? But I'd already seen my, my kids and, and this curly-headed blonde standing there in the back. I picked her out when she was 14. Now, I didn't marry her when she was 14. We're from the mountains, but... <laughs> we waited a little while. My grandmother, whose funeral I did, she was orphaned at nine, married at 15. My wife's grandmother married at 14. So that's, that's, you know, from the mountains, that's just the way it goes sometimes. But we wait a little while, but that, oh, I'd been missing that woman. She's my bride. And I was so thrilled to see her. The Lord's coming. He's not coming for everybody. He's coming for his bride. And for those who are his, those who are his adopted sons and daughters, those who have put their trust in him and what he did on the cross and his resurrection, repenting of their sin and confessing him as Lord, the Bible says they are saved, they are adopted, they belong to him. And he's coming for us. It's going to be a great day, an eternally great day. But for those who aren't his, it's going to be an eternally dreadful day that will begin to unfold on that day. Why is that? Well, you think about what the Bible says regarding God and who God is. The Bible says God is love. Now, if you're separated from love and the source of love in your life, what remains? The hatred of hell. The Bible says that the Spirit of God is our comforter. Now, if you're separated from your comfort and the source of your comfort, you have no comfort left in your life. What remains? The agony and the sorrow of hell. The Bible says Christ is our joy. Take away your joy and your source of joy. What remains? The suffering, the sadness of hell. The Bible says Jesus is your life. Now you take away your life and the source of life, what do you have left? The eternal death of hell. I don't want that, do you? I don't want that for my children. I don't want that for my wife. I don't want that for anybody I love. I really don't want that for anyone, anywhere, anytime. You see the sense of urgency that accompanies our sharing the gospel the work of the church. You see the sense of urgency that we must carry with us moment by moment and day by day to make sure that, yes, we are prepared, that those we love are prepared, that all around us have the opportunity to prepare because His coming is imminent and His coming is exclusive. Now, there's one more thing that I want to make sure that we highlight here before we turn away from the text this morning. And it's this, His coming is good. And it's something, in fact, that we ought not just prepare for, it's something we ought to pray for. That's what you see John do. Four times the Lord has emphasized His coming soon, and at the fourth time, in verse 20, John responds. He who testifies these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Now John responds, what does he do? He says, Amen, come Lord Jesus. That word amen is 
actually not originally an English word. It, it, it's a Greek word, I mean in the Greek. We don't, we don't translate that word. It's called transliterate. We just brought that word in the language from the Greek. It means literally let it happen, let it come to pass, or let it be. It's a way of our uh, agreeing with something or affirming something. You hear your pastor uh, preach a, a good word from the Lord, make, make a, a clear point from God that strikes your heart, and what do you do? You say, amen. John must have been a good Baptist. He heard the Lord say something wonderful here, and he said, amen, let it be. John didn't say, well, Lord, I guess that'd be all right. I'm just not sure if I'd want to happen today. No, John said, really, Lord? Really? These shackles on my wrists and on my ankles? Lord, you'd take them off? You'd set me free? You're coming, Lord? Lord, I, my brothers and sisters throughout the Roman Empire who are being persecuted, some in prison like me, some crucified, beheaded, burned at the stake, Lord, you, 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 you'd bring mercy and deliverance to your church. You're coming for your church. Come quickly, Lord. I promise you, our brothers and sisters in Nigeria, where it is still night, where probably yet again, their pillows are wet with their tears, pleading with God, praying for, crying out for their baby girls. Stolen by the jihadists, the Boko Haram. If they, if they were to have in their heart a word from the Lord tonight and the Lord would say, it's going to be okay, I'm coming soon, they wouldn't say, well, Lord, I'm not sure I want that to happen right now. You're coming, Lord. You'd, you'd rescue my daughter today. You'd take them from the hands of those wicked men. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Don't you see it's a good promise? It's a good promise. When I was a little boy, about two years old, my older brother was four, my younger brother was one. Our mother left our home. From that point forward, our father raised us along with the help of uh, the grandmother uh, who is now in glory. Uh, She told him, said, uh, Tommy, if you get them, I'll help you raise them. And she stood good to that promise. And my mother had, had visitation rights. She would still come pick us up sometimes for a weekend or maybe a, a week when we were out of school. A divorce is touched about all of our families, so you, you, you know kind of what that looks like. And uh, There was always the handoff, the exchange. You, you, you may know what that looks like, where you plan a meeting place and the kids are handed from one to the other, or maybe from the grandparent to one of the parents. I remember some of those handoffs didn't go all that well when uh, we were little fellas. Dad would find one boy on one leg, another on another leg, another grabbed him around the waist, snot slinging. Daddy, don't make us go. Please, can't we just stay home? Now, it's not that our mother mistreated us or anything like that. It's just that home was home. Dad was the one who was raising us. That's what we were used to. and that, that's, that's, what, that's what we liked. On top of that, you couldn't take your, your BB gun or your dirt bike and say, can't we just stay home? I mean, there was something Dad would always do to kind of calm those moments, take the emotion out of them. 
he was a tall man, uh, almost as tall as I am now. He'd line us up in front of him, and he'd get down on our level. He'd kneel down. And he'd look us in the eye, and he'd say, Boys, you go on with your mother. It'll be okay. I'll be to get you. Now you, you, you go on, boys. You do what you're supposed to do. It'll all be all right, because I promise you, I'll be to get you. Now, Dad never lied to us, and we knew that about him. And so when he said that, suddenly there was a sense of calm and assurance that swept over us, and we knew he'd keep his promises because he always did. And so we'd dry it up, and we'd get in line, and we'd march on. Sure enough, it was always fine. We always did fine. And he always came to get us. The Lord Jesus has given you a promise. Here's what he's promised. I'll be to get you. Now you go on, you do what I've asked you to do. It'll be okay. I'll be to get you. You go on now, you take up that cross another day. I, I, don't, I don't know how heavy the cross is for you right now. I don't know well, how bad it hurts you in your life right now. I don't know what that looks like, what that feels like. You do. But your Lord says, today, take up your cross and follow me. It'll be okay. I'll be to get you. The Lord says, you keep doing what I've asked you to do. You keep sharing Christ. Now, I, I know some of them don't want to hear it. They go the other way when they see you coming. They're, uh, they're, they're tired of you confronting them with their need for a Savior. That's okay. It's not your job to save them. You just share with them. You go on and you do what He's asked you to do. It'll be okay. Unless He'll be to get you. Forest Baptist, the Lord, for 147 years has used you. And He wants you to use you today. And He wants to use you every day until He comes. He's given you a promise, and it's a good promise. He'll be to get you. Amen. amen. And amen. Let's stand.